1967, I was with the Baptist Student Ministries Department of Texas Baptist. And my responsibilities were to be uh, chairman of the Summer Missions Committee, where we interviewed volunteers and selected the ones we felt were qualified and then provided funds and equipment for them. Well, there was a medical dental project scheduled that had me concerned. It would need special equipment, professional volunteers, and supplies. Well, the two weeks before the student missionary meeting training meeting started, I was preparing a Bible class lecture for Kilgore College. I was reading the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 12 to 15. These verses in the King James Version of the Bible say, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father, uh, which is in heaven. Um, I was always amazed by the scriptures and their, their exorbitant promises of, that we would be able to do what Jesus did, and even more. Oh my goodness gracious. Well, what happened was I'd been reading this, the Bible for information, and suddenly I discovered I needed to read the Bible for transformation as well. Um, man, get that? You hear what he said? Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me the works that I do, shall he do also? And greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father? And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If we shall ask anything in my name, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I read this scripture many times. The first book of the Bible I ever read from start to finish was the Gospel of John when I was 17. But this time it was a literary speed bump and my mind just was jostled by the statements. It said that if I had faith, I could do what Jesus did and I'd even be able to do greater things. Whoa, wait a minute. What did it say? I read and reread the verses. Was my life marked by the wisdom of the power of Jesus? I considered myself to be a faithful believer and servant of the Lord, but I was aware of my struggles, my pleading prayers for daily needs to be met, my constant worrying about my son's health problems and his illnesses. Do what Jesus did? Where was I missing it? Well, I pulled books off the shelf, <laughs> Parallel Gospel, Strong Concordance, and a bunch of others, and started looking at everything Jesus did. And I found out he just did two things. He met human need, where he found it, and he introduced men to God. Wow. I leaned back in my chair, stared at the ceiling, and began to ask myself, how much of my life as a Christian met human needs and introduced people to God? Well, some of it did, but where was the, the focus that made that the primary thing I did every day? There were times in my hyperactive life where I felt like the bumper sticker statement was a true description of my life. Jesus is coming again. Look busy. I realized that very little of my life actually met human need. As a matter of fact, I usually avoided people with needs. I didn't have time or the resources to meet anyone else's needs. At the time, a BSU director's salary was just one step ahead of the poverty program. What resources to help others? Huh. Where would they come from? Uh, 
Oh, Jesus said, ask. I knew what the Bible said, but mentally I was applying the modern Christian detraction factor. It says, well, boy, that's what the Bible says. And that was meant for the disciples or, or that probably refers to missionaries or to other important believers doing big things for God, but not to us as ordinary Christians. Man, was I wrong? The scripture was speaking to me. Wow. My life and all as a believer had been focused on evangelism. So introducing people to God was not new to me. My daily activities in counseling frequently gave me opportunity to share my faith with students and uh, introduce them to my Savior. However, there were many times when my church activities, my BSU activities kept me so busy, I didn't speak, didn't spend time seeking the non-Christians. I only talked to those who came to me as seekers. I became convicted about the amount of time and effort I wasted on busy work. Well, the verses became the focus of my prayer life. They became the object of my meditation. They became the constant thought that resurfaced every time my mind was not actually working on a project. I spent a week unpacking the truth in these verses. After that first week, I was facing a deadline for summer missions. Uh, it was a meeting for preparation for the summer. We were sending a medical and dental team to the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, the border with Mexico. It was composed of two nursing students and one dental student. Their job was to hold clinics in the villages along the river, and they would be assisting volunteer dentists and medical doctors. My deadline involved obtaining the equipment and all the supplies they would need and providing transportation for them. The only thing greater than my enthusiasm was my ignorance of what was needed for the project and how to move it. I went to visit my personal physician in Tyler Dr. Kerfoot Walker, I asked him what would be needed for setting up a temporary village clinics in rural areas. Dr. Walker's reply was, get a notepad and write this list as I, as I talk. You'll need a private area. You'll need cotton swabs, tongue depression. And he went on for two and a half pages. When he paused for a breath, <laughs> he has to see the list. He thumbed through the pages thoughtfully and then commented, it's going to take a truck to haul this stuff and it'll take a day to pack it up, a day to unpack it and purify it, get ready for sanitize it at the new location for the next setup. I replied, Kerfoot, I do not have a truck and I cannot lose two days every time the clinic goes into a new location. The summer program only lasts 10 weeks and that would take a drastic reduction in the number of villages that we could help. Kerfoot said, yes, that's not the best way to do this, so let's pray and see what God wants us to do. Well, the following scene was etched into my memory that Sunday night. Before I had fully understood his statement, what we were going to do, he was already on his knees beside the dining room table talking to God. The reason I was so impressed by what he said was that he was talking to God like I heard him talk to his nurses. He said, God... This clinic project is to meet people's uh, physical needs so they will listen as they're told about you. Now, I have no part in this, and it's not for my benefit that I pray, but this is an important project for your glory, so would you show John how to do it? In Jesus' name, amen. He was getting back in his chair before I was able to get on my knees. I looked up, and he said, get up. That's sufficient. Now let's continue the list.
Well, I thought, oh, I better pray a whole lot more about this when I get home. This is a heavy project, and I better spend a lot more time praying for God to move on this. I had underestimated the power of this layman's prayer. At 3 a.m. Monday morning, I popped awake, wide awake. I wondered why was I awake and alert at this hour. I felt my wife's feet, and they were warm, not cold like usual. Well, they'd wake me up. I didn't need to go to the bathroom. Why in the world am I awake? I thought for a moment, then I prayed, Father, is there something you've been trying to tell me, and I've been too busy to hear? Folks, I don't know how to explain this, but in my head, in my mind, I got a divine, uh-huh. Now, for you Southern, non-Southerners, that means I, uh, uh, yes. <laughs> I'll meet you. I prayed less. Okay, Lord, yes, I'll meet you in the kitchen. I went to the kitchen table with my Bible and notepad. If he was going to tell me something, I certainly wanted to write it down. I sat at the table and prayed, Father, I do not know what you want, so I'm going to sit here and read my Bible. You put your thoughts in my mind. I am free until I go to work at 8.30. I opened the Bible to the scripture that had been foremost in my mind for the last eight days, John 14, verses 12 to 15. Suddenly it dawned on me. I should claim this promise in reference uh, to the uh, medical clinic and the mission I had before me. So I asked the Father to show me how to make the clinic work project work and how to make it mobile. Mobile clinic. Wow, that's what I need. I wonder where you could find one. wonder how much they are, how much they cost. How big would it need to be? Kerfoot's examining room were about 8 by 10 feet. The dentist always has his hand in your mouth, which is only an arm's length away. The height would not be more than six feet, and six and a half feet to seven. I realized that a school bus was that size. I, I began to list on my pad mobile clinics, school bus, examining table, dental chair. I prayed for a design. I prayed for help. I prayed for resources like money and equipment. I began to draw a design on quadrille paper. God got me up at 3 a.m. five days in a row. I never get up at 3 I'd rather stay up until 3 than try to get up at 3. But when you have a divine appointment with the Father, you eagerly await the hour. I was filled with anticipation every evening and excited about what God, what God was, was up to. Friday morning, I showed my wife the completed list and the completed design and a, and a three-page parts list that, in addition to what doctor had given me. Uh, I, let's see, also it's Friday morning, I made a contract with God. I told him I would be obedient and trust the scripture. Jesus said that if I needed anything to do God's work, I was to ask the Father for it in his name, and he would send it. I did a completely non-Baptist thing. I promised that I would not ask anybody for anything but would only ask him. I promised to answer questions that people asked me. I would inform them, but not ask for anything. I'm not sure that most folks can imagine what a leap of faith that was. I was facing a deadline for production and sitting on the kitchen table on Friday was, the, was only with only my Bible and a notepad full of lists and drawings. And the summer missions retreat started that night at Mount Lebanon near Dallas. 
all of the summer missions volunteers, the missions committee in the state Baptist student ministry staff, everyone was there. And during the meeting, I spoke with Dr. Howard, the director of Texas Baptist Union, Student Union, and asked about the mobile clinic idea. I didn't break my promise to the father. I, by asking, I was just mentioning. Uh, I didn't ask for anything, but I was certainly trying to bend my promise by hinting. And Dr. Howard did not get the hint. He said, oh, that's a great idea, John. See what you can do about it. He handled the BSU budget, but he never took the hint. And I was instantly convicted of my attempted manipulation. I retired to a chair in the corner of the room and started repenting. Dr. McLaughlin came over to my side and asked, did I hear you mention mobile clinic, John? I said, yes, sir, I did. Uh, where, where do you go? Where are you going to get it? He asked. I said, where, where's the building, sir? What do you need? He asked. I said, everything, sir. He asked, what about money? I immediately shot back. Oh, that's a great place to begin, Dr. Charlie. He promised to send a check on Monday. I returned to the Kilcore College BSM building on Monday, taught my Bible classes, and drove to Longview for my evening meeting with the Laterno College group. Next to the campus, there was a liquor store. As I drove by it, I saw a school bus on the liquor store parking lot with a for sale sign in the window. I parked beside it, looked it over. My wife and I had a brief prayer about the bus. I felt encouraged to think this was the vehicle I needed. Next was a huge step of faith. I went in to the liquor store to ask the price. The step of faith was not about the price. It was about being seen going into a liquor store. Oh, man. No Baptist gossiper would wait to see that I came out empty-handed. Oh, the bus price was $750. Well, that alone should indicate the condition of the bus. The owner of the bus lives in Carthage, Texas, the location of my Panola BSU. When I asked him, he reduced the price to $650 since it was for, uh, he says, a church project. Well, Dr. McLaughlin's check for 400 arrived on Wednesday. I called the owner and asked $400 and a tax letter for 250, would that do? He said, no, I need 650 cash for it. By this time I was spending an hour to an hour and a half every day in prayer for the project. My mind was, would not shut down at bedtime. I kept a pad and pencil by my bed as design details would emerge, ideas on parts and equipment, resources would come to mind, and the construction methods that were, uh, were thought through. I'd pray myself to sleep and awaken in the night and pray some more, get on my knees before daylight and pray. I, I just lived in prayer. I drove, as I drove from campus to campus, I prayed in, in route. Well, God put the project in high gear and he put the pedal to the metal, as truckers say. On Friday, May 12, 1967, the morning mail contained a letter from my boss at the foundry in Beaumont, Texas, where I had worked during my high school days, Mr. Cecil, Cecil Worley. He wrote, Dear John, I do not know why I'm writing this letter. All I know is that God told me to send you $250. You know that I do not do things like this. What's going on with you? What are you doing that caused God to do this to me? Let me know as soon as possible. I still can't believe I'm doing this. But enclosed is a check for $250. Sincerely, 
Cecil. <laughs> I called the bus owner and said, I had the money and I was coming to get the bus. He informed me that he'd moved it back to Carthage. Another man wanted the bus too. And the first one here with the money gets the bus. He said, well, the urgency called for a leap of faith. I asked a student to drive me to Carthage. I told him I was in a hurry. I shouldn't have said that. Uh, the term wild ride would not do the journey justice. But we were the first ones there with the cash, and I was breathless, <laughs> but blessed. The next real act of faith was telling the student he could return to Kilgore without my test driving the bus. The papers were signed. The money was given. I had the keys. When the engine finally caught and uh, and began to run, uh, I uh, I noticed a cloud of black smoke out the exhaust. I thought, hmm, carburetor needs repair or adjustment. I pressed the clutch pedal into the floor and the gears made a grinding noise as they engaged. I muttered, hmm, needs a new clutch. Uh, I think, surely, yes, a new clutch. Just then, the former owner ran up to the driver's window and shouted a bit of unwanted inf additional information. Over the noise of the engine, I heard him say, oh, I forgot to tell you, the brakes don't work. That was when I fully realized that I actually had $650 worth of school bus. Well, the route home from Carthage to Henderson and from Henderson to Kilgore was about 45 miles. One traffic circle where there were five highways intersected. The clincher was the five o'clock traffic had started. I never ceased to be amazed, though, by the many ways that God has uh, to orchestrate and intensify and upgrade my prayer list. Uh, as I rolled down the driveway, I turned on the farm to market road. I didn't have time for a King James version of prayer. I just said, oh, God, get me home safely with the bus. Uh, you said this was the one to buy, so take care of it, please. Uh, it's, it's amazing what a great economist God is. He never, he never wastes anything, not even my youthful experiences, because when I was 15 years old, I worked in Alabama for the summer, bought a Model A Ford for two cents a pound out of a junkyard. It didn't have any brakes or any second gear, and I drove it back from Birmingham, Alabama to Beaumont, Texas, 350 miles, with no brakes and no second gear. I learned to downshift, cut it off, turn it up, turn it back on, slip it into reverse, let out the clutch, shut her to a halt. The only problem was when you turned the engine off and the engine was still in gear, a lot of un <laughs> unused gas would gather in the muffler. And when you turned it back on the fire, it would sound like a cannon going off. I scared people a lot uh, with that thing, it's like a pop bomb, pipe bomb. Well, um, I got home using these skills developed as a teenage boy. I got home unbent and accident free. However, I may have improved some other folks' prayer life as well on the way. Parked the bus in the backyard, kissed and thanked my wife who'd been praying for me, took my toolbox out and started looking for the hydraulic leaks. It was the left rear wheel. I sat down beside it and prayed, Lord, I have never worked on this type of axle before. I know it's called a floating axle. I'm not sure what it's floating in or how it works. Either show me how to do this or send someone who knows how. In Jesus' name, amen. In Jesus' name. Before I was able to get the cap off the axle, my gate slammed. It was Mr. Waller from my Sunday school class. Hi, Brother John. I heard you were going to build a clinic. What are you doing right now? 
I told him I did not know what I was doing right now, but the brakes are broken and I'm trying to fix them. He added, well, uh, I, and I told him I'd never worked on, on this type of axle. He had it, uh, well, under the cap, you'll find crown nut, secured by a cotter key pin. Well, now that, take that off and it holds in the bearings. And as he was interrupted by his wife, who said, honey, do it for him. After all, you're the maintenance manager for East Texas Motor Freight. He spent three days in my yard and rebuilt the entire braking system. Five men in First Baptist Church of Kilgore, Texas, had volunteered to pray for the clinic. These men were prayer warriors. One of them was Dr. Charles Whiteside, head of the chemistry department at Kilgore College. The first night the bus was in my yard, Dr. Whiteside called and asked if there's something he could do uh, beside praying. I said, boy, yes. He said, I'd like to help build that clinic. I said, man, by all means, I'm happy to have the help. Well, when you, when you come, Dr. Charlie, be sure you bring a friend. <laughs> he came every day and always brought other workers. The school bus arrived at my home on Friday night, May 12th. We started the construction on Saturday, May 13th. We had 22 days to turn it into a medical dental clinic and two days to transport it to Harlingen, Texas. Dr. Whiteside probably had no idea about what he was tackling because all of us were employed. Our folks uh, could only work after the close of the business day. We worked every evening and every other night. We worked from sundown to sunrise. We prayed before starting. We prayed while we worked and we prayed when we stopped. And we prayed throughout the day. And I had given the workers a parts list and told them to pray for our needs. God is so faithful. Soon word about the clinic spread all over town. It's a small town like Kilgore. Information quickly moves from the announcement at church to the beauty shop, to the barber shop, to the coffee shop, and to the workshop. People were moved by the mission of the project and wanted to be a part of it. Members of several churches from various denominations stopped and checked it out, looked over, looked it over, over looked up at the project and uh, gave money, donations, and some supplied some, some, uh, some equipment we needed. Uh, man, it was amazing. And then some came back and joined the labor force. Information spread to other cities as well. A dentist from Fort Worth, Dr. Dan White, called and offered a complete dental operatory. He said that the dental chair was old enough to be in a museum. It was hand-operated and hydraulic, a non-electric hand-operated chair. Ah, but it still worked, and it was imperfect. It was perfect for our situation. A building contractor came to see the project and donated a generator. My secretary, Mrs. Hare, asked if her husband could help. I gladly accepted the offer, but I asked her if he knew that he was being donated. Well, let me interject the sequence at this point. The project had been broken down into a series of tasks. Each task had to be done before the next one in order. And uh, I would pray for the workers and the skills needed and the equipment. And folks, I'm telling you, it never failed. They appeared as needed. For instance, to build a steel platform on the rear of the bus to hold the generator, the propane tanks, and the large water tank. I needed a steel plate, angle iron, channel iron, a welder with equipment, and some way to support the steel while the fabrication was done. I asked my secretary of uh, 
what does your husband do for a living? And she said, he's a welder. Uh, does he have his own equipment? Oh, yes. He'll also bring our 18-year-old son tonight, she cried. Yeah, he'll help. Well, when Mr. Hare came that evening, he said, if I, I'm, I hope I didn't over overload you, but I thought you might need some supplies, so I brought some scrap metal that I had around the shop. Folks, he had everything on that prayer list, including a six-foot, 200-pound son who could hold all the steel in place while he welded it. The sequence of prayer and divine provision was repeated many, many times. We continually claim the promise Jesus made in the 14th chapter of John. However, many times God fulfilled his promise in Isaiah 65, 24, which says, even before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. <laughs> Frequently I would say, Lord, this is an answered prayer. Thank you. And frequently things would come and things would happen. And I would say, oh boy, I wish I'd prayed for that. But it came before I even had the opportunity to pray for it. I'd been asked by the pastor of First Baptist Church, Athens, to preach. I spoke about uh, how Jesus used common men, ordinary men, in his ministry as disciples. Service was over. I was approached by a man named Jim Wren. He was a corporate pilot for an oil company and the owner of a real estate and insurance company. He said, Brother John, I appreciate your message, but I have a problem with it. I'm a layman with no church work skills. I can't sing or preach. I can't teach Sunday school. There's not a handle in God's kingdom that fits my hand. What can I do? I told him I'd be at the Baptist Student Center in his town on Wednesday. Be happy to meet with him and discuss it. He asked if he could bring a friend, Ed Nusko, who was a banker and had been experiencing the same problem, wanting to serve God, but not knowing where or how. I told him to bring anyone he wanted to seek ways to serve God. My goodness, I, I sensed that God was up to something.
Hello? Hey, did you call, son? Uh, didn't mean to if I did. <laughs> okay, well, uh, somebody did, and I, I was dictating a chapter, uh, I mean a podcast, and I, I didn't get it in time. Oh, okay. It wasn't me. I, mean, I forgot to call you back. We weren't. I guess we were kind of done, but not quite. But yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, uh, boy, I've talked about fixing up some soup. John made me some chicken soup. It had a lot of broth. Uh huh. So I added, uh, um, I added rice, and I opened a can of mixed vegetables and dumped that in there after draining it, and right. uh, and then <laughs> then I. Uh, I grilled some sausage with George Foreman uh-huh. and uh, chopped that up small and put that in there. Wow. Oh, son. I can't wait to get to it tonight. Oh, good. I'm going to watch you play the Wednesday basketball game here just a little bit. All right. I love you, son. Thank I love you. you too. Bye-bye. Bye.